My name is Giovanna Alessandro, and welcome to the third episode of Art Audio Book Club. Today we're taking a look at Erlen Lowe's 2005 bestseller Doppler. In this book we meet Andreas Doppler, who one day fell off his bike. That forced him to take a hard look at his life, and this launched him into a new lifestyle as a hunter-gatherer in the woods outside Oslo. Here he adopts an elk, and becomes increasingly estranged towards society. This book is a social satire of the Norwegian middle class. Doppler asks questions and offers radical solutions. It's a fun and serious and short book. And the volunteers that will discuss this is uh, Nerea Otieno. Hello. Alexander Book Swinty. Hello. And Macon Holt, who also produced this episode. Hi. <laughs> One word that's important to this book is nice and niceness. But in Norwegian, its original language, the word used is flink, which can mean a lot of things, like being responsible, staying on your path, and doing what's expected of you. And the Danish word used is competent. That's a bit different. What do you guys think about this? Um, I think nice uh, can carry the same kind of weight as a uh, flink. I don't. It's maybe with competent. It's more culturally specific to how Danes feel about being competent. I don't know how that how that works. In the to me, competent. I'm a little bit frightened of it. Being mm. competent mm. is kind of aggressive. It's well, I guess it's something you aspire to, whereas nice is just sort of a flat word for me at least. And I read the Danish book and where it was competent, and I just really dug the competent part because we all have to be so competent all the time, and that's exactly what he's sort of driving at being anti competent. Mm. Mm. So nice is just a strange word for me, but within the context, we'll be talking about (laughs) in the near future. (laughs) um, Nice actually does work, yeah, because nice. Nice is his way of critiquing it in the word, in a word which is meant to be inoffensive. Mm. But it is obviously offensive. Like, people find nice a very offensive word. If you say someone's nice, then it's usually being sarcastic. It's kind of a way of saying something without saying anything. Yeah. 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 When I was reading it, and especially the, the page when he really goes into nice or flink or competent, and he says it all the time, in my notes, uh, the first thing I wrote was, like, Scandinavian culture. And I think it was... Mm. Um, Especially even at least in Denmark, the use of the English word nice or also in Danish is, is also kind of sprinkled in as many times as he uses it on that page. Mm. So I, I don't know, I thought it was kind of... So, uh, it, I mean, I think it works well in the translation, but I think you have to go through, like, it's like a different route you get yeah. to the mm. same... Mm. I think when you say competent, you're saying, you're saying it almost more objectively, like the requirement to be dutiful and to be responsible is an issue, whereas nice has this euphemistic journey. That you have to go through to get to it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it's just a weird translation question because competent is, just seems sort of like flat mm. within within across cultures, I guess, because mm. it does have sort of a professional skill level attached mm. to it. It's an active thing yeah. of having yeah. a lot of stuff mm. on your yeah. resume and being mm. out there and putting yourself out there. Whereas if you are nice, it's not the same thing. Should, should we mix this? I actually think that competent doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, I think it. I think it has a lot of the same ways we're talking about nice, that it that it's like, yeah, that's something you can do and it's a, a skill that you have, but you're not necessarily great at it. It's just these different competencies. Mm. It's just, uh, mm. yeah. And even just be like to be competent, I think it's just to kind of make it through. It doesn't, mess, it doesn't mean you're intelligent. It doesn't mean you're smart. It means you're able. But, 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 but still proficient. You're not notable yeah. for your incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. So look at that section where he's like, it's on, it starts on page 35, where he says, it's kind of one of his more meditative uh, passages. And he says, uh, 
I've towed the line for so long. I've been so nice. I've been so bloody nice. I was nice in nursery school. I was nice in primary school. I was nice in secondary school. At grammar school, I was revoltingly nice, not only work-wise, but also socially. I was nice without being a swat, without just fulfilling the requirements. I was sometimes rebellious and cheeky and was close to overstepping the mark with my teachers and still they liked me more than the others. And to be able to do that, you have to be nice in an almost infinitely disgusting manner. I can see that now. I was a nice student and had a super nice girlfriend whom I married in a nice way with nice friends. After being offered a nice job, they gave me the finger to another ni other nice jobs. Later, we had children to whom we were nice and we acquired a house which was decorated to look nice. And he goes on and on and on. But that's like everything is likable, right? But in the Danish book, mm. their house is competent mm. and their wedding was competent and all their friends are competent. And so they're not even likable. Not necessarily. Mm. Yeah, because this is this kind of anxiety is very much like the sort of you find in American Beauty, the movie like yeah. that kind of. Oh yeah. It's the nice lawn. It's the nice. Mm. Mm. It's getting it. Yeah. But then it's, it's the competent in the getting it right. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. It's competent but beyond adequacy. Mm -hmm. mm. But it also seems that it, it, the English translation agrees more with the Norwegian original that it's mm. not only underplayed but also kind of like for the sake of others. Mm. That that. Mm. It's in line with what's expected or to make mm. this other person happy. The word itself is, is still within the realm of sort of politeness. Whereas competent perhaps doesn't have that same but that's aspect. But then again, yes, it's Danish source. <laughs> but it's just, I, 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 I mean, when I found out that the, the book had nice instead of competent, the, the book almost like fell apart for me all of a sudden because I just really loved the word competent and I mm. loved that anti competent thing going on for him and just nice was just like oh that's that's it's flat but i think nice underlines what he's trying to say a little bit more because mm. it is so flat and because it is yeah an adjective that's thrown around all the time mm. but then some things people still somehow aspire to be like you don't want to be called nice but you also don't not want to be called nice yeah. and and uh, that sort of politeness and social maneuvering it's exactly what he's trying to mm. go against Mm. Then I would like to know uh, how you like the kind of naive narrative that's mm. going on because I found it very seductive staying in his head with him mm. and it wasn't until I had read the book I think the third time that I started thinking hmm you're not supposed to talk to an elk and you're not supposed to play memory games with an elk inside a tent Should while combing it should we describe a little bit about how this elk came to... Uh, mm. I mean, he's the book opens with him in a kind of matter-of-fact description, killing a, an elk. And then after the, the, the mist disperses, he realizes that the elk's child is, is there. So the mother is dead, kind of Bambi-style situation. So this Bambi narrative starts, and then he's left with an, with an elk. A baby elk. A baby elk, who he treats like a person who is... Perhaps a little bit too elk-like to really get <laughs> to know what's going on. And it was about the third time I read the book that I realized I don't know if he's really eccentric or if he has a disease. Like, is he officially crazy because you're not supposed to do these things <laughs> and you're not supposed to talk to an elk and lie in a tent with a baby mm. elk all day and comb its fur and chat with it. He's certainly troubled. Well, yeah. <laughs> to... An extent to the extent where you would hope that a person would look for help rather than abandon all other people. 
there's no doubt about that that he's kind of there's something slightly wrong with him because the way he talks to Bongo the elk sometimes I love that it's called Bongo yeah I love that I love that I want one but but sometimes implies that that the elk perhaps is answering him like he sort of thinks that this elk is actually talking to him until he at the end sort of realizes wow the way this is the elk can't do this it can't talk back to me what am I thinking but, but no he, he never has that so but he never has that sort of like reflective but he just he has that Oh, but the elf couldn't answer me. Yeah. So he sort of almost reaches that cusp, but doesn't really go mm. over to the sort of where, oh, what am I actually doing? Mm. He stays within the realm of this craziness of talking to this, a baby elf. Th- there's this moment where they, where he, it's Christmas, and he makes a paper hat for, um, for Bongo as a Christmas present. <laughs> and then he says, um, as for me, I don't get a great deal. In fact, I get nothing at all. But my God, Bongo is an elk. I don't doubt for a second that I would have got a terrific present if he understood what Christmas was. Exactly. So, you, so you, he has that almost reflection part, but then, but then still re- remains within that craziness. <laughs> he, he's in this world. But because if, if the elk knew that it was Christmas, then of course he'd get a present. And just a short note on how Bongo came to be Bongo. Yeah. Bongo did not have a name. Uh, Andreas Doppler decides to name Bongo Bongo after his dad, who was not called Bongo. But sometimes you just need to be open to, to these, those sort of things. to those sort of things. That kind of logic. Um, also, how when he first starts speaking with Bongo, is kind of in the way of I killed your mother, and I feel bad about that. But the world is a harsh place, and you're going to come to realize it. So, I'm the person you need to talk to. I understand it could be a bit uncomfortable for you now, but I'm here for you, and I understand the situation. Is in what. In which sense I felt that he was involuntarily making Bongo into a very competent elk. Yeah. By making it... Or was he a nice elk? Become, yeah. <laughs> become its own elk of drawing its own lines and being very conscious about the world around it and itself. And that is what he wants to save his four-year-old son from mm-hmm. by going venturing into the woods abandoning his children so that they might feel this absence of their dad so they might like maybe become slight alcoholic or have yeah. like sense the vacuum of something and not become so nice or so competent well he's very worried about his daughter in that respect his uh, teenage daughter who's yeah. he can't relate to her because of her current infatuation with the everything to do with um, the Lord of the Rings, and it's worth mentioning that this book is set at that historical moment when the Two Towers was released in in Norway, but the Return of the King had not yet come out. But he does, yeah. He has the line after it's a bit after the when you were reading all the nice parts, and he says, "But my daughter has been showing worrying signs of niceness, and I think it was the right time to move into the forest. It was also good for her. My time in the forest, which she regards um, at regards as bordering on madness, may make her unsure of herself, and thereby help her to mark out a way which is less nice and make her achieve less, and generally speaking, lower the bar." See, this actually maybe this is where you kind of feel that sort of tension between competent as well like mm. achieve less you don't achieve because you're nice mm. you would achieve because you are competent and if you are less competent you maybe achieve less unless it's a luck thing but niceness seems almost like a slight non sequitur and then you think maybe he is bordering towards madness mm-hmm. I like that maybe he feels like the sacrifice of having to appear like he's bordering on madness but he doesn't consider himself to be bordering on madness he thinks he's the only sensible person yeah but isn't that like a typical characteristic <laughs> of crazy people <laughs> But it's interesting uh, with the whole parental theme because he didn't know his dad. Well, he knew him, but he keeps on saying that he didn't really know his dad. And Bongo didn't know his dad. And Dusseldorf 
the guy. Mm. Uh, we should maybe introduce who Dusseldorf is. Dusseldorf is this guy that uh, Doppler steals from in order to live in the forest. And they become pals. Uh, but none of these people have ever known their parents. And it is the story of estrangement from parents, society, mm-hmm. interpersonal relations. But And he's continuing that line by not wanting to be a dad for his children, by kind of saving them. He feels that he's saving his children which by is, going away. Yeah. Which is quite curious is how he'd think, that, I hadn't thought about that before, but that how he'd think that he can stop his children from being the way he is by disappearing when it's not like that helped him to not know his father. <laughs> That's it's, true. It's, I hadn't thought about that at all, no. but yeah. No. Which again leads us back to the, the question of his madness, because, I mean, does, in a lot of respects, as well as this, sort of contradict himself. I mean, mm-hmm. the part about skimmed milk, which yeah. perhaps we could read. But tell us how the skimmed milk ties into well, anything. This is the beginning of, uh, this is near the beginning of the, of, the, uh, of the novel. He's just left Bongo up in the woods. He's killed Bongo's mother and... You know, taken some meat to go barter at a convenience store. He's trying to have an arrangement where he would drop off elk meat in exchange for skimmed milk. And the, uh, the shopkeeper says to him, Why skimmed milk of all things? he asks. My good man, I say. Skimmed milk represents the peak of human achievement to date. Any idiot has always been able to get ordinary, milk, ordinary cow milk, I say. But the leap up to skimmed milk requires a stroke of brilliance and sublime separation technology, which has only been made possible in modern times. And in fact, I fear that humankind will progress no further. Skimmed milk will probably always reign supreme, but it does give us something to aspire to. Skimmed milk ennobles mankind. It's very funny. It's very funny, but it, but it, it contradict, he contradicts himself. His logic is, is flawed. And, and I, I'm guessing that the reason is, is because he's, He's sort of mad, crazy. We get that also because he doesn't like this. It's always speech that he's telling us about. It's never speech direct. It's never direct speech in the text. Mm. It's always like maybe written as direct speech, but there's no speech mark. No. So we are getting whatever Doppler wants to Mm. say was said. Mm. So it's his perspective interpretation of the entire thing. So it's always his slant. And he's an unreliable narrator because he's a guy who's gone up to live in the woods. I would assume mm. that makes him somewhat unreliable, at least mm. cold. Um, it's Norway. Well, we, d- we do know that he has suffered a head trauma. <laughs> yes. So in terms of if there's madness or not, we do know that mm. a large blow to the head has then forced him or enabled him. Increased his competency to... Quite possibly. <laughs> or decreased, hopefully. <laughs> We um, don't know. To go into the forest. So there's, there is at least that yeah, that we can question. Definitely. And the, I guess more of the fact that his wife doesn't seem that surprised, but then again, maybe it's also because we get her response via him, that maybe he is quite eccentric before that, and that him moving into, you'd think it would have created a little bit more of a stir, as opposed to her coming up a couple of times to, you know, have glorify his, <laughs> his large penis. His large <laughs> member. Chopper Doppler. Yeah, for some reason, Doppler. Apparently, it's a family trait, is it? Or... It comes up a few times as well. Yeah, a couple yeah. of times. Not almost like infrequently enough that it's not quite a theme, <laughs> but frequently enough that you think, why is this important? Yeah, we're talking but about yeah. he, he's he's very well endowed, and he makes sure to say it. In fact, one of the first times he's with Bongo before Bongo has a name, apparently the elk is watching him pee, and he's like upset about it, and so he turns and says, "Get a good look." And then proceeds to tell us how. But he also has raging megalomania because 
he has the largest penis, but he was also the most competent, nicest person before he ventured into the wood. He was like the nicest of all the nice people and the most competent of all the most competent people. Uh, it, but that, I mean, that megalomania is still, is still there in the woods because yeah, he's, he's the guy that's right. I mean, he's mm-hmm. almost that sort of Jesus figure who has come to he even has chew away by these, the end. these capitalists at yeah, the church. Yeah, and he's saving his children by... Yes. <laughs> Removing himself and erects erects a monument in his his honor. But did he think he had a large penis before the head trauma? We don't know what we, he thought before the. We head can't trauma. know. Yeah. No. maybe this is a, maybe it's a deliberate him? clue to his delusional state. And in a way, I found it to be very cynic, uh, because it's a very unsympathetic portrait of the middle class, and it's very two dimensional. What do you think about the way he portrays? I think there's something I don't see as quite unsympathetic because I think the whole... It's, well, oh. <laughs> okay, but okay, so hear me out. I think that, that because the way, you know, Bongo and, and the, the humor is sort of a very sort of a sweet and sort of very naive and, and his perspective is sort of just very soft uh, in some sense. So I, I don't get that sort of unsympathetic vibe. I mean, of On course... On the rest of the world? He's, yeah. He doesn't like them. I know, I know he doesn't like them, well, but I just don't get like that Norway. hardcore... And then he starts thinking, maybe it's the rest of the world I don't like as well. But he starts mm. out by saying, I just don't like Norway. People of Norway, mm. or Norwegians, as they're also mm. called, mm. I think mm. he says. Mm. Yeah, of, of course, his point, but I just didn't really get that. I mean, it's just a sort of very funny yeah. book, and it just sort of wrapped it in, in all these sort of quirky mm. things, so that, that sort of satire just was sort of a very soft form it's of almost, satire. It's almost like his stated opinion isn't important because the, mm. the kind of the way that he's presenting it's like enfolded or wrapped within he's like he's, he's, he's comfortably within that sort of like middle class comedy situation <laughs> thing yes. I, I think I agree with you guys it, it reminded me a bit of of Don DeLillo which one? White Noise? Yes, yes. White Noise yeah. mm-hmm. and the way that middle class and average family from that country is portrayed which definitely isn't sympathetic and is also funny mm. but is also just quite stark and that's and that's what makes it that mm. it's uh, that it's yeah this guy in the middle of the show and he kind of sees that he's in the middle of the show and he's trying to fight back but he's but in it no, nonetheless this isn't th- i wouldn't say this is stark nope. this, this is this feels much a much lighter touch it feels it feels like mm. there's a there's a real I, I feel like you don't have to get into tune into that sort of dark comedy wavelength i feel like there's quite broad Mm. gestures that sort of try and bring you into this like you're you're as able you're able to laugh at doctor as much as you are what he is laughing at mm. Mm. yes but also here he, like he, he has a lot of questions and he throws all his perceived problems onto the reader mm. but the only solution he can think of is to throw everything you have and move into the woods and there's no middle thing but the best it's thing yeah. either or and we need the hunter gatherer and the barter economy and mm. well i think i mean there's a there's a point to this that i that i that i think is interesting because there's something about um the the amazing activity of the middle class and his i mean that amazing activity never sort of really translates to any change and i think the only way to really become active is actually to become super passive because that is the most sort of contradictory thing that you can do so i think that's a very very active way of sort of uh, attacks aside from from some vantage point. It reminds me of like there's like the whole debate that happens. So Doppler is like sees himself sort of like left politically somehow. Like he's not he's not right wing. He hates the kind of right wing elements of 
Norwegian culture, he states that explicitly. But there's this kind of like problem that lots of like left wing people have is that they have no kind of world project. So the only thing you do is run away into the forest and you just, you know, tend the land and go back to nature and then that solves everything or nothing, but you run away. Yeah. But also that the way he does it, even when you're explaining it, that he that he thinks, you know, like, it's either you're this or you abandon it and you go there. But he does it in the middle as well. Mm. That he goes into the forest, but then he also, you know, wants skimmed milk. Mm. Can't find skimmed yeah. milk in the forest, yeah. yet yeah. somehow uh, <laughs> that's what he needs. And that's the greatest invention, the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And he goes back home to steal tools and what have you. And I think... One of the things I was most surprised about is that when he, I think it's at Dusseldorf's, no, it's when he goes home as well, when he's, when he has to go take care of the kids because the wife chooses to go on a holiday and it's been months and she thinks she deserves a holiday. Um, some might agree with that. Some might agree. <laughs> some might agree. Yeah. I'm one of those people that would agree with that. Um, but, but that when he's there, he decides to watch television. And I thought I was really surprised that he decided on his own to watch television. Yeah. He gets to watch television and then be annoyed at television. Yeah. And he is such a hypocrite because he wants to stay away from society. But in order to do that, he steals from people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he steals from Dusseldorf, who then beats him up and ties him. Beats him, importantly, with a large Toblerone. Which <laughs> of is four kilos. We, yes, which we must... That's a beautiful image. And it's worth mentioning that of those who did not know their fathers in this, Dusseldorf is the only one doing the real, some, well, maybe not the right real work, but real work to reconnect with this father who, who he never knew, who was a Nazi soldier. And to recreate, re- reconnect with this after having lost everything else in his life, Dusseldorf is making a, a scale diorama of the town, was it a French town? Or German town, French, French, French town, where his father w- was killed while driving a car. And when when he asks Dusseldorf like, uh, "What's he going to do after this?" Dusseldorf goes, "Well, I'm thinking I'd probably take a gun and kill myself." <laughs> and like, because then he's connected with the father. It's like, uh, it's interesting the way that this book is looking at how people commit to projects. And the whole paternal theme. Mm. Mm. Which might maybe then explains why more the, the member is highlighted mm. yeah. throughout. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. Of course. In the phallic totem pole and pissing on it. But sometimes he's very observant and sharp as well. Mm. Uh, I really like this quote, for example, where he goes, um, one, per- <laughs> one problem with people is that as soon as they fill a space, it's them you see and not the space Large, desolate landscapes stops being large, des- desolate landscapes once they have people in them. They define what the eye sees, and the human eye is almost always directed at other humans. In this way, an illusion is created that humans are more important than those things on Earth which are not human. It's a sick illusion. Well, yeah, Lowe, as a writer, is very, he's a very, he's a very interesting writer in terms of his satirical angle that he's getting. And I think what's interesting is like he does this kind, of, he has this kind of almost like wave-like thing where he's getting closer to Doppler and then so you, there's sometimes where you feel like the two people are having the same opinion mm. and then there's other times where you feel like no he's trying to present Doppler now <laughs> he's trying to say you know Doppler's, Doppler's got problems mm. yeah yeah because what really annoyed me one of the times I read the book was that Doppler is so cynical and so uh, there's no nuances like his wife is just this kind of dumb person who hasn't seen the light and who keeps on doing what people do but it does reflect Back on him. He, he definitely that has some, he is the yeah not very smart person. But yeah, he, he's very like a, has a very apathetic 
yeah, by exactly. Tum. And the, the whole the language also has a very apathetic... I mean, just the way the book starts. Like, my father died and I killed an elk yeah. yesterday. I mean, Which is quite reminiscent of a bit of Camus. Yes, it is. But it's, I mean, I think it's such a pushed apathy. Like, you know mm. that he really does care. Mm. And he is quite, I think, megalomani- uh, megalomaniac. Because even with all of his hypocrisies, it's, you can hear that he's, he really believes in himself, but then he's also trying to make sure that he's putting the right self forward, even though we're in his own head. And it's like, even when he says things like, he goes on about how he never wants to achieve anything and that trying to achieve something is the worst thing that anyone can ever do. So what is he going to do? He's going to do nothing better than everyone else. He wants to, like, he goes on about how you should never strive for things and he wants to strive for nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's even then he sees it as a, as a prize mm-hmm. and something to go after. And I think, but I, I do think that those, the, the, um, when you guys are mentioning his, his, that he's quite perceptive and it was, it was refreshing to me when I was reading it. Cause sometimes I would, I would always find it enjoyable and I thought he was funny and I was like, Oh, what a, peculiar situation we have here what a ragtag group of people out in the woods but then you do have to realize at a certain point of course he's been out in the woods doing nothing he has to come to some sort of conclusions or some sort of thoughts Mm. and then those sort of sneak in sometimes like the Mm. quote you just read and especially towards the end when he's walking and talking about Mm. consumerism and existence or when he goes on his you know small monologues Mm. about what's right in the world and why he should have this axe and why the farmer doesn't need it and that sort of thing. So and it's those like dialogue kind of justifies his They just project. I think for yeah, for the reader in a certain way, and I think it's almost mm. like he's slipping. I feel like that's when he's not putting the same like those things aren't necessarily things he would be saying aloud to Bongo, but they're uh. in his head. But those are the things that you that he thinks like as a reader you read it and you and you like, all right, well that was that was quite well put. Doppler, well said. Mm-hmm. And I see what you mean about, you know, growing inside the forest, but then that's not the same thing that he's going to say to Bongo or to Gregus or the reactionary man. He'll say something else that has to do more with himself or more with, yeah, how not, not anything nearly as insightful as, as that. But he doesn't really care about other people and he doesn't really care about being understood. Mm. So he wouldn't have to say this because then I think people would start getting he's an intelligent person that has thought about this, but he has no need to be understood. Mm. He hates it. But he wants followers, but not those same ones. And not around him. I think he would like for people to do what he's doing, but not in his forest. Yeah, Mm. he wants for everyone to... Yeah, exactly. Not in his forest, not around him. Come see my totem pole, but not near me. Mm. Because once the, once the right-wing guy moves up, I mean, he hates that man. And he hates the thought that he has helped this guy see, see the things that he does. Mm. But he keeps coming over and disturbing him in his That's because I think in some, ways, in some ways he's antagonistically defined. Like, yeah. he, he exists in conflict to the rest of the world. Mm. And when you can say, like, when your existence, the way your, your example uh, helps this, this reactionary man see the light, suddenly... This is all changeable, and maybe it would be different, and then I won't have the thing that defines me, which is that I am in antagonism to this structure. Mm. And so. And an island. And I yeah. have a total resistance towards this point about how you don't need interpersonal relationships in order to be happy. Mm. I think he's super annoying, and. That's also maybe the kind of. That's a thing. Intolerable, <laughs> and I really feel for his wife, and I hope that, like, she. <laughs> enjoyed her time off when he ventured into the woods 
And she didn't really seem to mind it, except that she really missed his income. Mm. Mm. At least that's what he told us, she said. And she goes there to have sex with him, and she becomes pregnant, and then she wants him to move back. But not until she's pregnant. Maybe it's a relief. It might not be. I mean, I wouldn't like to live with this guy. I really feel like his his idea of social interaction is still like he doesn't like to collaborate with people. Mm. But he likes to be admired by people, which is why he's kind of happy the reactionary man is there. But he hates that he's so close, mm. and he really likes. There's a there's a line, kind of in the beginning when he's talking with Bongo, and he says it's lovely being with people who can't speak, and so that it, everything that that guy does is yeah. And then it's even with when the reactionary man moves into the forest, and they start talking quite a bit, and Doppler's quite annoyed with it. I think it's more that. Yeah, he moved there in order to get away from people, but then his his choice of moving becomes validated, and it was as we were saying before, his act of he, this is the number one act of nonconformity. Says number one, you know, I'm going to the forest to just say to hell with all of Norwegian society, and then this other guy comes and agrees with all of his nonconformist attitudes, mm-hmm. and does someone agree with your nonconformist yeah. attitudes is quite frustrating, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, It's quite like that thing of I don't want to be a member of a club that wants me as a member. Yeah, <laughs> a bit, yeah. Because <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> There's a really nice line actually when he's talking with your when you're talking about social uh, interaction. He's talking about I believe Dusseldorf, and he says maybe he's the closest thing I'll ever have to a kind of friend. Even though, of course, I would have preferred it if he wasn't there. <laughs> It's that's like, like it's a beautiful sentence. It's, it's, I, 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 I just love page one thirty four. I just I just love that that's yeah. the way that idea finishes itself off. Yeah, it's just uh, that's it's nice. And then also Gregus when they, when they're hanging out in the beginning, it's because he's like quite quiet, and mm. then he starts learning to read and he starts asking questions. Oh yes, and then and this is the four year old son. Yeah, when your four year old son starts learning to read on his own, <laughs> and you get annoyed at the whole thing. Um, yeah, not impressed. Not impressed. He, not impressed. he needs like, to stop, stop it. Stop it with the and, yeah. oh, oh. and he does even the thing about his son is asking about the meaning behind articles and words, and Doppler's reaction is like, "Yeah, there's not really that much meaning behind it. Sure, some smart people can find meanings behind it, but don't worry about that. Like, you you shouldn't try to do that." And there's 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 nice there's nice satire shot through that. Yeah. Like, there's not. It's not really me. It it the newspaper it comes every day, <laughs> you know, so you can find something if you're looking for it. But it's it'll be a new one tomorrow. I really think he likes people when they're not doing well, mm. and as soon as they get kind of okay, when the reactionary man has his own yeah. thing to do in the forest, then he finds him annoying. When Gregus can talk and read, then he finds him annoying. When Dusseldorf stops, uh, kind of gets over the whole mm. dad thing and just mm. wants to drink. Mm, yeah. Then he finds him annoying. Well, like, he likes his superiority. Mm. He likes his realization that he is better than everyone else. Mm. He's achieved something mm. in that, and then if people catch up, he loses. So he's, he's yet dare he, he achieve anything? Yeah, he's um, he's in the same trap that he's complaining everyone else is in, as you were saying before. So his his un niceness becomes all of a sudden nice as soon as the other people think it's nice. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> we we've done this in the previous episode where we have taken a second and reminded everyone that this is a fun book. 
<laughs> because we're gonna make it sound like it's most boring book in the world. Yeah, it's not but it's good. a really light and fun book. Yeah, you can read it so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you will laugh. I mean, just the word you bongo. Hate him. Yeah. Just the word bongo. Yeah. So great. Well, just that repeated joke of, I'm sure bongo would contribute to this in some way, but he's an elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so far yeah, so you have to forgive him for that <laughs> hey everyone this is an advert like they have in real podcasts we just thought we'd take the opportunity to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Arc Books on Willigan right in the heart of Copenhagen's buzzing literary district all our books are handpicked by our volunteers So you're only one serendipitous human interaction away from maybe finding your new favorite book. Also, like we said last time, Christmas has been and gone, and we have a feeling that, barring some terrifying cosmic shift, New Year's will soon be in the past too. So, with Sunday the 3rd of January coming along, we thought maybe you'd like an afternoon of music from singer-songwriter Captain Lovelace and video and next-wave karaoke artist Lispector. We hope to see you there to celebrate the new year, and you can find details on our Facebook page. Now, back to the podcast. Did this book raise any questions for you? Should I go first? I don't know, she didn't specify. No? No. Who's you? For me, I guess it did uh, start a bit of um, while he's trying to escape society and is very adamant about that, moves into the forest, slowly a society starts to build around him. So I guess I, I mine is a bit more of like, can we ever really get out of that as humans? We're, we're communal people, we, we need certain things. And so even if you're trying to escape somewhat of a structured civilization, or a structured way of being, um, then can that happen? I think that's a good question because it's something you, lots of people are constantly grappling with is how do you, well, it, in some ways it's kind of how do you live up to your ethics and values to a certain, because his, his are to reject the structures that have been built, but he ends up generating new ones. So it's not that he was, it's not that he can live without these structures as his, passion for skimmed milk attests but yeah i I think there's an important point uh exactly sort of almost paradoxical nature of ideals and ethics and and values morals and how do we live up to these things because that quote you read about looking at a room and then all of a sudden you only see people but there's another section of the book which is talking about how they were fixing things in a room and how fixing these things were like more important than anything going on in the big world outside. So there, there is something, I think, for me in this book that points to ideals as being something very, very difficult to actually achieve. I mean, how do you actually achieve uh, living in, in, a, in a social democracy? Yeah, so I, th- I think, I think there, there's something in this book for me that drives towards sort of a paradox within, within ideals and a, and a sort of paradox within also language, perhaps. But that's another thing. But, but there's something... Slightly yeah. paradoxical. I mean, just his ideas. He can never live up to them yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. He's always sort of back and forth. And all the things he tries to escape then kind of get brought in a different shape, in a different way, in that, uh, yeah, when he's 
he starts out a lot of times talking about how he's always thinking about his wife and him were redoing their house. So, mm. oh, should they spring for the marble or what about this one or what? And he's was talking about how it's great to not think about those countertops anymore. Yeah, yeah. which which is why he himself is is a paradox because what he wants is what he basically gets. I mean, he gets a new society he, he's, or starts a new society that, that is perhaps is being built on different values and sort of quirky things in a, in a unniceness or not very competent kind of way. So through his sort of passive um, reaction towards society, moving into the woods and just not being a part of it, he sort of gets what he wants, but then he, he doesn't really like what he wants. Mm. But he still sort of opens that door, that window into, hey, if we, if we did something opposite, then something could happen. But, but importantly, the way that it keeps in that tension is that he doesn't realize that he's not living up to his ideals. Mm-mm. He always thinks yeah. that he's always someone else to blame. Yeah. Mm. It's always, it's always a reactionary man not realizing what the ideals are meant to be. It's always, mm. uh, it's always the father that was absent, but was actually okay. But was, we don't know. Um, the wife. It's always the wife with all the constant nagging, like provide for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and be present to your children's <laughs> <Yeah>. lives. <laughs> all this nag, all the time. <laughs> He's self-satisfied, which is the most unlikable quality about <laughs> about yeah. about Doppler is that he is um, and about anyone about anyone. But he's <laughs> he's particularly good at it. Yeah, uh, he's he's doing well for Doppler. Um, I actually don't mind it though. No, 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 because it's wrapped in in all this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny greatness. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, this bongo. And it makes me wonder if I mind it in people in general, if it's still like from somewhat of a distance. Because I do mm. think that like the the whole reason why maybe the main justification in his head for all these things is that it's him making the decisions instead mm. of it's him being disappointed in himself instead of someone else being disappointed in something he was supposed to do. He's only disappointed with his former self. And I think of everyone in the book, he's least disappointed with Bongo, except for the one time when Bongo is apparently forming a relationship with the reactionary dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. And he's like, that's the one time he says anything slightly upset about Bongo, which is funny because then it's Bongo kind of going against what's expected of him. <laughs> Yet that's not okay. So it's kind of saying that structures will emerge wherever there's something complex enough to notice them. Like, if there's, if, like if the, so when the person appears in the landscape, the landscape is then made in relation to the person. Mm-hmm. Whereas before there was this complete, this open field that could be anything. You could be focusing on the stream. You could be focusing on the hills, the sky. The sky takes you off to space. Mm-hmm. But once the person there, it's like a scale, a scale device, and then you have to think: Are these trees useful for fuel or for building? Are these? Is the stream useful for drinking? Is this? Is the sky polluted? Is it? Is the air breathable? Mm-hmm. And so, that's like a weirdly fundamental version of it. But he's. Him getting rid of structures means that he has to make new ones. Mm. And when he comes to making new ones, he's ending up relying on what he's already got experience of. Mm. So he's going to have expectations of how people should be, and they are to not be competent. But they're mm. to be competent and not being competent, or they're mm. to be mm. they're to be good at not at not being nice. Or yeah, so their niceness, their not niceness becomes the new niceness. Mm. And so he's still stuck. And that's, I guess, also like the kind of but continue this it is, goes to the politics of it. Is he, is, he, is he completely stuck though, or has he moved one inch in towards a new uh, experience that would be fundamental 
towards I don't think restructuring. Like, I don't think of it linearly. I think it's more that he's changed his angle of looking at the same problem. Like, yeah. yeah. I think he's, I think it's, I, I think he is very much stuck, but yeah, his perspective, his perspective has changed. Mm. So now he's learning things that he could have learned uh, mm. at home, but just he didn't see himself mm. in that same environment, in the same role. Mm. So now with this other angle, even though it's this kind of the same situation mm. and similar responsibilities and that sort of thing, that it, then because other things become more clear because mm. it feels like he's taken a choice yeah like why does he go back to look after the kids that weekend mm. when he's pretty committed to not going back and he doesn't go back for the birth of the of the well, he goes back for the birth but he doesn't go back to well, uh, no he gets tranquilized he gets tranquilized, <laughs> tranquilized and dragged back to the birth <laughs> So why Didn't would he see that coming? By the way, <laughs> no, <laughs> did not see a tranquilizer dart ending up. Yeah. So so why why would he acquiesce to the point where he goes? Oh, I should babysit for this weekend. Mm. But for the for the birth of his of his new child, he just thinks, oh no, I, I'll need to be I'll have to be dragged back for that. <laughs> Maybe he's getting worse, and we don't know. Worse, better. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have one question. Um, about concerning the father and the father's habit of photographing all the toilets that yeah. he's ever used. Like, what is this man on about? <laughs> there is the territory marking thing again. Like yeah. maybe piss on the totem pole. Um. Yeah, that is actually an extremely quirky thing yeah. that yeah. I just that kind of just goes by the wayside yeah. because yeah. everything else is so ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure at some yeah, point actually his father photographed. So yeah. of course he did. I'm sure he's telling at some point he must be telling that to an elk. So you're like, oh well, <laughs> yeah. that's the crazy thing in this situation. Yeah. Who did, and he brings it up to someone as well towards the end? He's like, yeah, my father used to photograph toilets, and they're like, I can understand that. I can't remember. Maybe I think it's, it's, it's is it Toolman Roger or is it Dusseldorf? Well, no, because Toolman Roger has his own habit, which is worth mentioning, that he has to ejaculate on things. Mm. I mean, one of the best parts of the book is when he gets kicked out by his girlfriend and it's like, for some reason, she was fine when I ejaculated on a letter from the municipality, but she didn't like it when I uh, ejaculated on her book club book. And now I mean, I've been kicked out. What's the difference? <laughs> Women. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. that's women for you, says Roger. It's impossible to know where you stand with them. Something that has been okay for ages is suddenly wrong. It changes from one second to the next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they don't understand context, I guess. Is the They just think, ah, oh, it's always the same. Yeah. There, are, there, are, there are a lot of males reclaiming territory, or claiming territory. Like, the, the, with the photographs of the toilets and the ejaculation and Dusseldorf claiming this entire They're literally landscape. claiming territory. <laughs> <laughs> Making the territory. <laughs> and a totem pole. And, and a, a totem festival. Pole and, and, and Doppler trying to form this baby elk into something human. Would you recommend this book, Alex? Yes. Yes. And yes. Would I you? Mean, yes, I would, because I, it's, it's so funny. Yeah. It is so, I mean, even if you, if you hate uh, the, the main character, Doppler, and you hate his cynicism and you hate his take on and how... But you don't hate him until you've read the book three or, or times. How, well, and, yeah. I don't you, do get, you do get sort of irritated at him at, at points. But it's yeah, just... But it's I mean, lovingly irritated, it is, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. It is because the bongo parts come in and, <laughs> and you just can't stand for that. I mean, I, the elk just came to Denmark. We got to get one. Baby. I, I, I don't think that's the intended purpose of the intro. <laughs> you know, but, but I just, I, I, I found it absolutely <laughs> adorable. I mean, though, actually, I find it far more adorable in the uh, English edition's yeah. drawn version yeah. than the actual photograph yeah. of an elk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. 
recommend Would you recommend it, Mekan? I would recommend it um, as a... I mean, today, around this table, we've kind of explored a lot of the stuff that is in there, but you can definitely read it on as a very enjoyable, funny little satire thing, but there is more there. But I don't know how much that is us around the table or the book itself. Like, I, I'm... Because we're projecting our worlds we're projecting and our, our structures our onto this Our worlds and book. our structures are onto this. I think it's... I think it's a good book. I think I don't know. I don't know if I am thrilled about it, but I did enjoy it, and I would recommend it. Mm. And you, Nerea? Yeah, uh, I, I I would recommend it as well. I think, um, yeah, I think you can definitely read it in a in a very quick, easy way. Um, but it does, if you take a second, and I never got annoyed with Doppler actually. But maybe it's because I, maybe I'm a terrible reader and I read from too far of a distance because I knew that it was like watching him. If I didn't feel like I was in danger of being around him or being subjected to his unusual <laughs> ways. But I think, well, the back of the book says a, deble- a deeply subversive fable about consumerism, existence, and a baby elk called Bongo. And I think that's quite adequate. Um, I don't know if it's deeply subversive. No, no, no. The deep, the, well, a fable about consumerism. Yes, a fable about consumerism. <laughs> Two out of three. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like, like it's like a fairly standard appreciation of like consumerism from like a state-funded Norwegian author. This is what you think they would write. <laughs> like, like he's gone against no grains here. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, he's gone against a couple, maybe. Well, like just like a slight critique of Hugo. And at the end, he 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 gets a bit of he does take on why Norway has the abilities it does. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. Like I don't know if that's the moment where like no. Norway's taking a long, hard look at itself. No, <laughs> <laughs> nope, no. But it's I do. Going, I think uh, it's. I think it's nice. well written. I think it's a very good yeah. translation as well. Mm-hmm. I think it reads very easily, yeah. and you could read it quickly. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having listened. It might be a little while until we're back. Think February with the fourth episode. Exams are coming up, but the next book will be Christopher Isherwood's Goodbye to Berlin, and we'll have an Isherwood expert with us for that. Stay tuned and come by.